When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win twenty-five grand. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores. Can the Pelicans increase the pace and limit mistakes? Will New Orleans eliminate the slippage on defense? And is there a better Christopher Walken impersonator on the planet? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the D-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on, as a guest, Jerry V, who hosts the Morning News. It's actually called the Morning News with Jerry V down in New Orleans and the surrounding Gulf Coast areas. But Jerry also has 21 years of experience as an NBA analyst and was a college coach for 16 years. So, Jerry, thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk a little bit about New Orleans Pelicans with you. Coach, thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Well, let's jump right in because obviously their one in six start uh, isn't what they had hoped for with a new coach and uh, some players coming back from injuries. So is there anything you can pinpoint right now that's bothering you about what they're doing on the court? Yeah, the big thing, when Alvin Gentry came in, Coach, what they wanted to do is improve defensively and then they wanted to enhance the pace of the team. Well, in teaching that game, as you well know, it's a difficult thing to do because when you want to come in and upgrade defensively, that's one thing. When you want to enhance the pace, you've got to instill a whole new set of habits. So the pace of the game is increased. You want to take more shots. When you accelerate the pace, as you know, the decision-making process is accelerated. You've got to do things quicker. So you're changing a whole different set of habits. What's the problem with this? The problem the team is having, they've addressed the offensive side. They're shooting more threes, top three in the league. They're scoring more points. They're getting out in the open floor quicker, but they're not as efficient in the open floor. The problem is, Coach, is when they go from defense to offense, and that's where the major uh, – excuse me, from offense to defense, that's where the major slippage comes. They're not, they're, they, haven't, they haven't crossed that line yet on pickup points, decision-making, defensive rotations, defensive rebounding, etc. So their defense overall is not very good at all. They're the bottom two in the league. In fact, an overall total defense, you can say they're in the bottom two. That's the big problem right now. The offense to defense transition and assignments and trying to be as efficient on one end as you are on the other. You know, that's a really good insight because um, certainly what we've seen on offense is, you know, their rating right now is 13th out of 30. And I think that's to be expected in, you know, what you said, a lot of turnover and a new coach. Uh, So that's not terrible. In fact, I mean, they were better last year, ironically enough, uh, after a full season. So 
But there's no question that the defensive rating uh, right now, they're 30th out of 30 on defensive rating. And um, what I'm seeing is, I mean, I, I guess here's one thing is, you know, when you see a guy like Ashik come in there who's supposed to be a good defender, he looks terrible. The last couple of games, he's not moving. He's not protecting the rim. He's getting beat all over the place, and they're, they're kind of yanking him. So do you know what his issue is in his story? I know he's kind of coming back from injury, but uh, is he not 100%? Yeah, it doesn't look 100%. I agree with you. It looks like his gait when he runs doesn't feel very comfortable. He's not showing quick spring on his lift. He's not rebounding out of his zone. It's not that he's generally a go-getter rebounder that you can say rebound out of his zip code to other areas. So that's been a problem for him. I don't think he's 100% yet in that regard. Doesn't appear as mobile defensively either, and that hurts. And that, that compounds the problem because when your guards aren't containing the ball up top, you see the rotations are suffering. They're still slow. They're not reading situations properly. And when you're not defending on the perimeter and your bigs are exposed and you're a big that's not as mobile because you're still not 100%, that just magnifies the issue that you have. So he's suffering from that as well. Yeah, you know, they, they yanked him early in the first quarter in the last game, and they didn't have a center. They didn't bring Ajinka, Ajinsa in. And so now you had guys like, you know, Ryan Anderson is sort of like the biggest guy on the floor for them. And that was ridiculous when the Hawks were just going to the basket. So um, I guess how much do you think this is related to getting everybody back from injury? Well, if you want to play an accelerated pace and take a whole lot of shots, it takes a whole lot of energy to play that way. And when you have the lack of quality depth, it's going to hurt you defensively because you've got to extend that kind of energy on the other end of the floor. And there's a stat that jumps out on you that tells you where your closeouts are slow, your pickups are slow, the shot locations are pretty revealing. Opposing teams, Coach, are shooting the two at a 65% clip. That is astronomical. That is very, very high. The shot locations are revealing a softness in the defense. And uh, as we said in the pickup points and the quickness to react, you're being revealed that way. And what it's doing is you're putting a lot of offensive pressure on an Anthony Davis, and then you're asking him to come back on the under end of the floor and be your main defensive guy helping protect the rim. That's more challenging for him because he's trying to expand his game offensively, his face-the-basket game, to add some range to it. So now he's got to challenge himself, and he's got to cover and protect and play in a much larger area on the court. And that's been a difficult transition for him. He'll deny it, but if you sit back and look at game tape, it's revealing in that regard. So they still have a lot of work to do on the defensive end. The problem is, Coach, if this trend continues, you don't want it to become uh, something in the mindset of, oh, wait a minute, we can run, we can push, we're taking more shots than ever before. And if this continues with this trend, you don't want that mental thing to come into the mind, and then it starts to affect you offensively. Yeah, wow, that's a really great point. It's funny how people often overlook the connection between offense and defense. Certainly, There's a big connection, yeah. yeah, because it puts you in a comfort zone. If you're defending well, generally you feel really good offensively. But if you're feeling good offensively and you're miserable defensively, then now you're really dealing with an issue because it puts more pressure on the offense. And, you know, how, how much can you score the ball? Eventually, they're going to have to decide, well, maybe do we sacrifice Is the pace a little bit too much? Are we mm -hmm. shooting too many threes? Because they're, they're top three in the league in three-ball attempts. When you're shooting threes, you've got to make decisions of how many people do I send to the glass? How spread out is the offense? 
Are we getting enough coverage? Who's covering back? Who isn't? All those things multiply. And you're right. That is an area a lot of people, they think about it and they go, wait a minute, it should be the other way around. Well, let's talk about Anthony Davis because there's some interesting differences in his statistics this year. Uh, not so much in the scoring. It's a little bit down, but not really. Um, but what I've noticed is that his field goal percentage is way down. And, you know, he's shooting a lot more threes this year. I mean, it's not a lot of threes, but it's, you know, two a game as opposed to almost zero before that. So, you know, what, what do you think is going on there? Because even his two-point shooting is down. Uh, he, last year he was at 54%. And now he's below 50, just a little bit. So that's a pretty steep drop, even from the closer in. Yeah, one, the point we mentioned before, playing the game in a larger area on the court, defensive responsibility, trying to extend the game offensively, which takes a toll on, okay, when do I become a rebounder? When do I stay at home? How teams are preparing for him defensively, knowing that uh, the team does not get to the line often enough, so you become easier to defend because you're not getting enough attacks at the rim. He's trying to change his game, and in changing his game, there are times he's taking shots where you put a question mark next to it and go, okay, hold on a second. You're stretching yourself out a little bit here. You seem to be out of the comfort zone, and in doing that, your percentage is going to suffer. I think he's in a process right now trying to discover, okay, what is my true range? Where is my comfort zone? Am I staying in the confines of my offensive game where I really do feel comfortable so I can be efficient? And he might be stretching it a little bit right now. And I think also, Coach, the impact that special preparations are having against him defensively. People are showing different coverage schemes on double teams, blind side, this side, off the pass, off the catch. They're mixing it up on him, knowing if they can take him out of the mix, they're willing to let other people try to inflict the damage of you. Well, the problem being, you're trying to do that, but it's mostly coming from the perimeter. So if you're not shooting for a high percentage, you're not in the good rebounding position. So many times he's the guy trying to give you the effort, meaning it could be taking effect on his legs. He's been very frustrated. He's been displaying negative body language, which a young player is going to go through. He's got to battle through that. And it might be that mental aspect you and I were discussing, Coach, about from the offense to the defense and vice versa. When it plays a toll on you mentally, many times with young players, it affects your numbers and your efficiency. And I think that's part of the reason with him. I truly do. That's interesting. You know, especially because when I am on the floor with players, a lot of times, you know, you get scored on a little bit, you get angry or you get mad, you want to just play harder. But you can't shoot the ball harder, right? You can't sort of dribble the ball harder. No. Those are the areas where you have to kind of maintain your, your peaceful uh, frame of mind so you can perform. And I, exactly. I see all the time, you're right, these younger guys will get out there and they just sort of, you know, jump harder and they're tense and they're just heaving the ball up there and it just snowballs. Yeah, and they have to learn. And once they start, and remember, you're asking the team to play at an entirely different pace. Mm-hmm. So you're running more. Your decision making is accelerated. You have to. You're defending quicker. Everything is accelerated. And then some guys. Sometimes guys will say, "Well, I need to play that way. I need to shoot it quicker. I need to do things at a different pace." And it takes them out of the comfort zone until they get acclimated. You know, it's like the old drills, right, Coach? You want to try to create game speed in practice, tough to do, and then you go into a speed that's the the, 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 the most accelerated pace you've ever been in as a pro and it's affecting your game. That's all going to be part of the transition. 
And when you're having that slippage team defense-wise, you can see how it compounds the frustration that a young player with the burden of leadership and the expectations are so amazingly high. He's, he's suffering a little bit, and I think because he's trying to do so much instead of just letting the game flow to him because of the expectations they have of him. You know, I've been watching a little bit of their footage just trying to get a taste of what's happening in the half-court offense. And, you know, I uh-huh. do see some pistol action. I do see some of those gentry uh, hallmarks. But I also see, you know, a little bit more stagnant, high, just high pick and rolls as well. So um, I have to imagine that that's just simply re- they're, they're reverting a little bit to what they're used to as gentry's influence will take hold. But I guess the question is, is, you know, will this influence continue to take hold and will they continue to execute better and, and get better on the floor? Yeah, that's going to be the question. Uh, and there are times, too, I think when you notice and you look at footage, it doesn't seem to have any, and, and when I watch them play, the, the flow of things that evolves. Mm-hmm. I've seen games where you might get stuff on the ball side, your weak side is stagnant. It's easier to find Anthony Davis. They're not getting enough of that. And as a matter of fact, they weren't getting enough of it defensively, so they've limited some of their defensive calls to try to simplify things to take the pressure off the defense. But uh, I agree with you. All of that is going to take time. It's going to be a transition. The problem is how much time will it take, and then what happens eventually when your roster is healthy and you begin to redistribute minutes? What kind of a toll will that have on your team where guys will lose minutes, others will gain minutes, then other guys have to get acclimated playing within the new style with teammates where they haven't had enough of that repetition because of the injuries. Now let's talk about that because Drew Holiday is on a minutes restriction because of that foot, and I get right. it, and it's important that he, he protects that. If you look at his per 36 minutes, he's 20 points, eight assists. He's shooting great from three. And he's never been a great two-point shooter anyway with his percentage. So no. here's the question is, is that restriction going to get lifted anytime soon? I don't know because I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know how to what how severe the pain or discomfort might be. He doesn't seem to have the explosiveness that I've seen him display in the past, Coach. So mm-hmm. I'm saying he seems somewhat hindered. I don't see that clean, comfortable lift when he attempts to shoot the ball. And as you mentioned, he had a deficiency in shooting the, shooting the jumper anyway. I haven't mm-hmm. seen that yet. Another thing I don't see often enough is when they run pick and rolls, I don't see a consistent explosion off the dribble to get around the screen. That could be a sign of it. Um, so I don't mm-hmm. see the holiday that I've seen in the past, not yet. Well, here's the thing, though. If you combine Holiday and Ish Smith's production, it's fantastic. Ish Smith has been playing great. And so right. you, you, you can't – I mean, he's not shooting great again his field goal percentage, although I was shocked to see that he's actually got to 35% three-point shooting, which is a hallelujah moment for him. Uh, that said, you, you can't really point to the production of the point guard position as an issue here, at least on the offensive end, because certainly Ish Smith is doing you know, very nicely – um, you know, who are the people that maybe are underperforming that you think right now besides or well, you know, I'm looking anyway. at well I'll look I'll look at I'll look at the entire team and they're underperforming defensively because the major problem is not offense. You're making more mm-hmm. threes than ever before. You're number two in makes, you're number three in attempts, you're top six in top six in the league in overall offense, and you're top five in pace. So you've improved those areas. The problem is going from that end to the other where everybody's getting exposed. It's not that your offense has to, be, has to remedy itself 
and Holiday not up to par, and you're still having a good offensive team, meaning you're not suffering there. We just we just we just evaluated him as an individual to compare the past. The major, and I mean the major drop off, goes offensive feel good moments to miserable mm-hmm. defensive moments. So you're suffering, and you truly are suffering because your defensive numbers are just totally unacceptable. Yeah, and, and the only negative, one big negative on the offensive side is you're not getting to the line enough. You're not getting that offensive mm-hmm. mix. But can you say it's a problem when your scoring is, is up so high? Eventually that may catch up to you if you don't show enough diversity. It's the defensive side of the ball is where the misery is. Well, let's take a quick peek at their, at their um, schedule uh, so far because I think it might be revealing and maybe give uh, Pelican fans some hope. They hear the here the, the 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 they open the season against the Warriors, play the Blazers, the Warriors again, uh, an up and coming Magic team that really is going to be good, uh, the Hawks, uh, the Mavericks twice, and the Hawks. So we're starting to get a handle on here. Those are some pretty good teams they had to open the season with. Yeah, you, it, they had they had a tough time early going, and with the new system all in place, the schedule was too challenging for you. They're at Toronto tonight. Then they're at New York, and then Denver, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and Phoenix. So there's a sprinkling in there of opportunities. But when you're playing so poor defensively, every game can be a tough game because Mm -hmm. you can't guard anybody yet. And when you're not guarding people, guys have historical nights against you. I'm really curious, Coach, when you look at schedule, and, and people have asked me about this team, and I say it's going to take 10 games to get a decent capsule of this club because of the injuries and the new system that they're trying to put in. But it doesn't matter to me the caliber of the competition because even against some of the weakest competition that you face, if you still defend this way, you're still going to suffer. There's just too many defensive categories that have to be upgraded. Your defensive rebounding, your total rebounding, your defensive efficiency, all of those things, keeping people outside of the lane, etc. There's too much. It's glaring, and we'll see when the, when the healing is going to take place. Well, that, that's spoken like a true coach, and I thought we could take a minute to talk about your experience as a college coach. Tell us, where did you coach in college? I was at uh, James Madison University in Virginia, Davidson College in Appalachian State. I was also a closing lecturer for about eight years at what was the infamous five-star camp at that time. Uh, I also spent three years at the high school level. And then I continued to do basketball clinics. I still do to this day uh, and to follow the game. And I was an NBA analyst for, uh, for 21 years. So the game has been part of my entire life. I follow it religiously. I still evaluate it. In fact, we have an NBA segment on our show that we do every morning along with NFL. Uh, so I'm just fully – I go into the deep end of the pool because I love NBA basketball. I love the college scene too, but uh, having spent over two decades at the pro game, it's just, it's just embedded in you. It's like part of your DNA, as you well know, as much as you love the game as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now, when you were at Davidson, did you cross paths with uh, Coach McKillop? Uh Coach McKillop and I grew up in Queens, New York City. I've known Coach McKillop for many, many years. I haven't chatted with him as frequently as I did in the past because our paths took different roads. We mm-hmm. go so far back as we played Little League Baseball against each other. He, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, he's an excellent, 
excellent basketball coach. He is, and I've I've known that ever since he was a high school coach at Holy Trinity, Long Island, New York. Then he went to Long Island Lutheran, and then he went to a Davidson. And I was shocked when he didn't get the St. St. John's job in New York. He almost had a shot at the Virginia job. But in the conversations we've had in the years gone by, having lived in Davidson and been there, I told him he had the perfect job for somebody of his caliber. He can coach at any level in the country. There's absolutely no doubt. But he's such a purist. He's such a basketball purist. And, Coach, he's in an environment. He can walk to his gym, walk to his office. He's at an excellent school, excellent facilities, excellent funding, terrific caliber of player that you can bring there. They play a terrific schedule because they're not afraid to go up against the highly ranked teams, Duke, North Carolina, what have you. They play them all, and he's a ferocious competitor. He is at the perfect job if you are a basketball purist where you have everything needed to compete, to teach, to coach, the academics, the scenery of the campus, the logistics of the lifestyle. It's almost a perfect environment. They've named the coach after him. He's had tremendous success. In a way, I'm happy he stayed there. Uh, I, I, he's good enough to coach anywhere, any program in America, and everybody knows that. But as you well know, when you're considering lifestyle and everything else and put it all in a nutshell, that's where he is right now. Yeah, I've always been impressed with the way his teams play. Uh, they've always been really uh, you know, organized and focused and play with a purpose. When you coach, and like, do you have an offensive philosophy? Like, you know, I'm a triangle offense guy. What, what, do you, what kind of philosophy do you have on offense? When I was coaching back then, when I was a high school coach, we used to press every possession, every possession. I mean, we just press, 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 trap, the old running jumps, the whole thing. Got to college, the flex offense was big, and everybody was running a lot of varieties of the flex. We tweaked it a little bit. Uh, we had some terrific talent uh, in the years we were at Davidson. Um, we, were, we were lucky with the recruiting, played a similar schedule to they have now. Flex-type offense, depending on the players you had. A lot of ball movement, a lot of weak side actions to complement the ball side. Um, borrowing a lot of good ideas from some terrific minds was the style at the time. Um, mm-hmm. It was determined by the caliber of the player that you had. We were fortunate enough to truly upgrade the team speed and quickness that allowed us to get out on the open floor a little bit more. But I'm a big, big fan of how the San Antonio Spurs play. Big fan. Uh, having watched them play during Popovich's entire tenure. And I just think they're brilliant how they incorporate and take the simplicity of the game and turn it into something beautiful. They incorporate the whole floor, ball player movement, everything. They're, they're a joy to watch. Oh, I, I agree. It's funny because, you know, the Warriors are in that same vein. They run a lot of the similar things. And, um, you know, with enough experience, those things don't seem that complicated. Like the triangle offense to me isn't that complicated. Although I have to remind myself when I first opened that book that Tex Winter wrote and you look yeah, I read through that. it and you yeah. feel like, yeah, you know, it's like, Oh my God, this is, I'll never be able to understand half of this. And now when I look at triangle, it's like, it's just motion offense. It's like flex, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And you know what happens is, as you well know, you begin to just pluck out, certain aspects of it to fit your talent. The big mistake young coaches will make is they'll take the offense and they'll go, well, if they run it and they won titles when it's so can I. They forget about the talent level that they have. 
But now with so many clinics and teaching tools like the great job you guys do that are available, coaches can pluck out some ideas, tweak it a little bit for what just fits their personnel. And then once the young guys learn the idea of reading a cue, when he goes here, I should go there, and they repeat it enough, it becomes instinctive, and they learn the value of repetition, repetition, and flow. And then you really know you've sold them when you start to see your players do things where the ball isn't, the off-the-ball stuff. You're true, and it's how much of it can you can, do you want to use. And it's about, as you well know, it's about teaching what you do well and don't try to overcoach. And then that's where the beauty of the game really evolves. Yeah, I, I, I come from the, uh, the mindset of a, a part method where, you know, Pete Newell was a really big influence on me where uh, I wanted them to get bored. I wanted them to do two-line drills, three-line drills, the little parts of our offense where they get so bored with it because, you know what, all of a sudden in a game they'll break out an action that's completely organic that we've never even run before, but they know exactly what's happening, where they want to go because of all exactly. that work. And that comes you know. with playing the game. Play, spending a lot of time with the game in the off season, so those instincts and they all become habits, and they learn the other parts of the game that just become that just come out of flow. But you know what becomes significant, and I've always believed this. Uh, I was a psychology instructor for seven years, and I believe this in coaching. You can run a beautiful, simple system. What's very significant is how you sell the system to your players. And what are the phrases you use and the vocabulary you use that keeps them focused and motivated to enjoy it? I think that's a very valuable part of coaching. And you learn to coach with less vocabulary, almost with one-word commands, and then you know that they're, they're learning everything that you're teaching, and that's when the flow comes in, and then that's where the motivation comes in. Because there's a lot of guys that can X and O and can teach the game, but what what you're seeing more coaches truly master is the other part of the game. What do I do, especially at the highest level too, Coach, what do I do to keep the superior player playing harder and longer and working on his game harder and longer than the other superior player because the margin of error is so small? So you're seeing more and more coaches study motivation and the psychology of it all to keep these young kids in tune to the game and not to fall victim to what I call the, the fame vapor, when people start blowing a whole lot of smoke in your face and telling you how great you are and you don't recognize your game slippage. I think that's an invaluable part of coaching. Oh, I'm really glad you said that because we do spend a lot of time hammering that because, again, yeah, everybody can learn X's and O's. And it's, you know, my wife's a doctor. I remember back then, you know, you had people in medical school who they could ace the test, get into medical school, but they had no skills to communicate. And they had classes for that, though. Whereas I right. feel like with basketball, you know, it's harder. They don't, it seems a lot more, you know, uh, abstract, this notion of how you're supposed to communicate. But that said, I feel like the guys like Red Arbach and Jerry, um, uh, sorry, and uh, Phil Jackson and these guys and, and Popovich, they, people used to shrug and probably say, oh, they just have whatever it is. They were naturally born with it. But oh, I think no. Oh, no, no. Those yeah. people are so wrong. And I'll tell you why. You travel with a team or you travel – the NBA circuit for 21 years and you're at the shoot arounds mm -hmm. practice team plane team bus flight delays injuries when the flu hits the team when there is friction within the team when there's a losing streak a winning streak confrontation with a coach confrontation among teammates and then you take Pat Riley 
you take Popovich, you take Phil Jackson, even with superior talent, minute distribution, scouting, preparation, you got to keep doing things differently so they don't tune out your voice. So why were they able to do that? I think it's tougher to coach a superior team because of the egos and the minutes and the expectations than it is to coach a team where nobody expects anything out of you. That's part of their brilliance, and people don't appreciate that anymore. I've seen that, and just the, and then there's the endurance of the long haul from the first day of preseason camp through the preseason, through the regular season, through the playoffs. Someone explained to me how those guys – are able to keep their team playing so hard for so long and yet share the ball and play as a team. You tell me how they master that. Other than, of course, you've got to have leadership on the roster. Don't get me wrong. But tell mm-hmm. me, you're telling me somebody's going to tell us that that's an easy way to coach a team? It's one of the most difficult jobs in the world. Right. But I do think that there are techniques that one can master uh, that will allow them to get closer to what, you know, the guys who might be a little bit more naturally, uh, you know, have that ability as it is. So um, we're always trying to make sure to talk about language and, you know, the positive coaching Alliance is a big part of our, um, I'm sort of an unofficial spokesperson for them. And uh, you know, the language, like you said, is so important. And when you start using you know, a lot of negative connotations or you're sarcastic all the time, you know, those are things that can weigh on a guy or on a player over those, all those months and, and weeks of the year. You know what I've done in the past, and that's a great point you bring up. I, I've sat and had lunch or dinners with players that played for those guys, uh, former players, players that were traded by those teams. It's amazing how you'll hear players uh, and I'll use the Spurs as an example because I had an opportunity to get get to know some of their players and some of the players that were traded where you're close enough you can sit down and have dinner. And I would ask them, tell me why Greg Popovich is so successful. Do you know that I have not heard one player say anything negative about him? It was always glowing because of his ability to take the ninth and the tenth man, eleventh man, twelfth man, what have you, make an appointment with you and bring you in the office, and he might spend an hour or two or even a half an hour and just say, so how have you been? Tell me what your life is all about. And treat them and make sure they got some of the perks that the, that the Duncans and the Parkers and Ginobili's got, but at the same time, doing a great, great job in explaining to people the reality that all players aren't equal in talent but he'll treat you equally as an individual and that he says, follow that principle and you're going to understand why I might give the A players a little more time off or a little more leniency because that's the reality of the game. But it's his ability to communicate, to sell that where people don't get offended. And yet mm-hmm. he's also very, very demanding, even of his coaches, uh, where, where his scouts and coaches will tell you, everybody, there is no gray area and there is no confusion what your role is. And even in the workplace, if you understand that, your job becomes easier. And as the requirement is, be prepared, be efficient, and do your job. It's that simple of a philosophy. And that's the sign of being a professional, uh, a true professional, and finding people that adhere to that. Um, it's amazing how basic it sounds. But mm-hmm. once you get it going and you're in a winning environment in the culture they have at San Antonio and what they had with the Bulls and what they had with the Lakers – the, the, the positive peer pressure and the environment does the selling for you 
when you bring in an outsider. Well, a- absolutely. And while everybody, all men might be, and all women might be created equal and everyone has an equal opportunity, it sounds like you have a specific talent better than most, which, was, uh, which is doing a Christopher Walken imitation. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask uh, to hear just a, a tiny smattering of uh, how well you can do Whoa. that. Whoa. <laughs> I'll tell you, Coach, as a day a guy walks in a gym, he says, hold it. I got winners. As a winners, my game, I think over now, don't even ask. I pick you, you and you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was, I'm telling you, in my day, I was evil personified. <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't, just don't call me a cantaloupe. Yeah, I, you know that that scene was ad-libbed? I, I believe, romance? is that right? <laughs> yeah, that when they when they said, "Why did you say uh, why did you say eggplant?" Oh, eggplant. Oh. Be, he, yeah, he said because that was the that's what came to my mind. So they totally ad libbed part of that scene <laughs> with Dennis Hopper strapped to the chair was ad libbed. And one wow. day we'll have a conversation on all the scenes in Goodfellas that was ad libbed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I used to write screenplays. I moved to Los Angeles as that was my my first life, and so uh, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> but how do you, how let me about, tell you, you need some more cow, cowbell yeah really more cowbells so let me tell you by the way i uh i think i have every movie he's made uh but here's another thing anybody that you ever have on your show any coach or any player you should not allow them to come on your show unless unless they've seen goodfellas in its entirety <laughs> okay, I can I can make that out. There's I, a news I, I anchor. No there's a news anchor. There's a news anchor in this town, who yesterday admitted that he has never seen Goodfellas in its entirety. So how do you sit down and watch five minutes of the movie and get up? So what I've started in social media is a campaign to have him removed off the air until he That's watches that movie. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I'm in. Let me uh, mention me, and I'll help you tweet that out for sure. Uh, did you know Bingo. that I, I had read that Walken, when he gets a script, he has somebody remove all of the punctuation? Oh, yeah. In fact, they write for him that way. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you, that, you watch and so many interviews with him. Because, he, yeah. yeah, he speaks in such a strange cadence that it, clearly there is no punctuation like a normal way. So, uh, yeah, no. it made sense when I saw that. No. Pause. I knew a guy <laughs> one day, long ago... Love chocolates. Pause. You can't. You can't put in the punctuation. No, <laughs> that's awesome. In fact, well, I think I'm going to talk that way the rest of my life. <laughs> hey, why not? You know, it, it sounds like it's in your blood. You came probably from the same area of New York that he did. It sounds like. Yeah, I grew up in Queens, New York, and you grew up in Queens, New York. You grow up around all of those characters, riding the subways and buses in neighborhoods, which has really helped me in the media. It helped in coaching. It helped in recruiting. You take on all these characters, and it gives you a sense of humor and think quick on your feet but true i grew up around so many accents and personalities you can't help but incorporate some of it in your shtick well th- that was awesome i'm so glad we could have you on to talk uh some really in-depth basketball and some in-depth walking uh you have to come back on let's go yeah we'll go let's do a goodfellas podcast for heaven's sakes for, you know that would oh, be great we'll do it we'll do it all it was right an absolute pleasure and uh, thanks so much for having me on well, thank you, and don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? You in, Jerry? I'm in.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better. 